0: Welcome to the Language Hacking Podcast from Fluent in Three Months. The links and resources mentioned in this episode can be found at languagehacking.com forward slash 65.
1: Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Language Hacking Podcast. I have a fun episode for you today because, um, you know, every once in a while, I like to introduce you guys to one of the team members at Fluent in Three Months. So today we'll be uh, chatting with Alice Cimino, and she has been on the team for a bit now helping with multiple things. Uh, she, You would have seen her articles on the site. She also helps me behind the scenes with a lot of my content and presentations, and she makes lots of great suggestions uh, to Teams discussions and plenty of other things. Uh, but of course, she is also a polyglot. And now... What I think will be interesting about her story for you guys is, as you know, I got into language learning late in life, and many guests that we have on, uh, they tend to be beginning in their adult years, whereas Alice has grown up speaking multiple languages, and I think her story is interesting from two perspectives. Firstly, uh, you'll get to see what this multilingual life is from the ground up. And secondly, I think our parents had a good decision-making process to help Uh, grow her towards becoming a polyglot and I know a lot of people listening are parents themselves and they'd be curious about how that is from the other perspective. So uh, with that in mind, thank you very much and it's great to have you here with us today Alice.
0: Uh, Hi everyone, it's great to be here Benny. Um, I'm really happy to get to share my experience and hopefully help people and fellow language learners. Um, as Benny said, I'm Alice. Um, I was born, well, not ex- not born bilingual, but my parents are Italian and French. So I grew up being bilingual. I've got two siblings. Um, and from the day we were born, basically we communicated, um, in both languages. Um, so Italian with our father and French with our mother. So this helped us, um, be be familiar with both languages as we grew up. Um, So I was born in Italy. We moved to a French island, Guadeloupe, when I was three and I stayed there until the age of 13. So I had a French academic, I was brought academically um, in French. And um, when I turned 13, so at that point I spoke fluent French and fluent Italian. um, We moved with my family to the Dominican Republic Uh, So it's a Hispanic country and um, my sibling and I were enrolled in a bilingual Spanish and English uh, school without knowing anything beyond saying, hi, my name is, and um, I like the color blue. Um, So that was fun Um, (laughs) thinking about it now. um, It was really hard at that moment because we were thrown into full immersion. Um, we learned Spanish before we had the chance to actually learn English, uh, because obviously with the Dominican Republic being a Hispanic country, um, there was more Spanish interaction. Um, but then we were homeschooled since, um, I was 15 and we were homeschooled with an American homeschool program. So that's how we got better at English. Um And after that, at the age of um, 19, I moved to the UK uh, to get enrolled in university here. And because I got to love English so much um, that it just it just made sense that I would live in a country where English is the main language.
1: Yeah. That, and that, that's an amazing story. And I'm very interested to hear like the logistics. So obviously, if you're living in Gu- Guadeloupe, it makes sense that French is going to be the uh, language you're surrounded with the most. But how was Italian integrated into your family dynamic? I mean, you obviously spoke it with your dad, but how did your siblings and you decide to switch between languages?
0: Right. So um, I think many bilingual people can relate to this, but when you're in a place um, where other people speak your main language, you'll revert to the other language you can speak. Um, Either to have, it was something we did with my siblings when we were around the age of 10. Um, We would just speak about things we were embarrassed to speak of in public, we would use Italian because no one could understand Italian. Um, and then at home, obviously, like you said, we would talk with um, our father, but we also had Italian movies, Italian cartoons, Italian books we used. Um, our father made sure we would learn the Italian literature growing up. I remember some afternoons he would sit us and we would talk about Latin books. Uh, because he's very proud of the Roman heritage. So we would sit and uh, review the history of Rome in both Latin and Italian. I look at it very fondly now. It was super boring uh, when we were doing it, but now it's, it's nice memories. Um, and we also had, um, our grandparents and our family in Italy. So we would go back sometimes. It used to be once every once uh, in the summer for a period of like one or two months, we would go back to Italy and we would realize we'd lost some of our Italian uh, by going back. Even if we are Italian, even if it's technically our native language, because that's where we were born. But living in a country where we didn't really get the chance to speak it often, uh, we would realize once we went back to Italy that it was a bit, we had to get back into it. Um, so yeah, that's how, but, A lot of reading and a lot of being exposed to the language at home, uh, basically.
1: Okay. And I'm curious about your your parents' situation. Like, are they obviously they they would have to be able to speak one another's languages, but are they polyglots too?
0: Um, They've been forced to. (laughs) So um, my mother's half French, half Croatian. So she was already bilingual. And then she moved to the UK when she was 18. So she learned English as well. Uh, they met when she didn't speak Italian and he didn't speak anything but Italian. So, um, it's a bit funny to think of how <laughs> they bonded, but they were soulmates in another life or something because it, obviously it worked. Um, so they had to learn. Um, she moved to Italy to live with him and, um, She had to learn and she says the hardest thing for her was understanding the news on TV. But once she got to understand the news on TV, uh, she said she knew she was fluent in Italian. Um, It was she her approach was through full immersion as well. No study at all.
1: Okay, and um, it must have been interesting growing up as a polyglot because I'm sure uh, like even for me as an adult, I'll meet people and they're like, oh, wow, that's so impressive what what's it like as a as a child when you meet other children who themselves are potentially only monolingual or maybe bilingual and you've got these four languages you're working with what's that what's that kind of dynamic was it uh, an advantage like a superpower or was it something people teased you about like what was it, what was that like
0: we tended to always have a nice group of friends so these friends of ours weren't uh, judgy about it. We also tried not to speak in another language in front of them. It's like, you don't whisper when you're sat at the table for dinner. But we got teased a bit. Um, and obviously there's always this thing when you speak a different language in front of people, they'll try to mimic the sound, uh, which to us is funny, obviously, because it's not, it's it sounds that do resemble our language, but they're not actual words. Um, looking back now, it was annoying when we did speak another language in front of people. Uh, like, no one likes not understanding what happens. But there wasn't really... I don't think anyone said we had a superpower or something. There was this thing, yes, uh, that it's children. So there was this, oh, you're smarter. But, like, whoever knows me knows I'm a disaster at so many things. That it's just language is something I'm good at. And there's something I'm really there's things I'm bad at. So it's not, it wasn't seen as something of a superpower. And uh, the friends I have now tend to be bilingual or speak several languages. So it's natural to them as well. It doesn't feel weird.
1: So for anyone listening who has children and would like to raise those ch- children to be bilingual or multilingual, what do you think? Um, I mean, obviously one parent speaking one language is uh is kind of a, a huge deal. It's something that everybody says, but what other aspects of your life do you think uh, enriched your ability to become multilingual as you're growing up?
0: So we tend to learn things that we enjoy better than things we don't enjoy. So that's something, um, that's definitely something. I mean, when we were at school, we didn't live in a country where English was spoken. So we had to learn only through media Um, and I enjoyed writing and reading. So that's something I did a lot. Um, my sister is more, she likes vlogging. She likes YouTube videos. So that's what she does. And, um, my brother's much more into reading sports biographies and we all learned a different vocabulary but we learned the vocabulary we were interested in using. So we learned a part of the language that we knew we were going to use. And we did that through studying or being exposed to things we like. Um, So I'd say if parents are trying to teach their children um, a new language, it's definitely important to incorporate that language into something Their children like. So if it's sports, um, sports videos or sports competitions in a different language, in, in the target language, um, if it's books, I've been trying now to learn Portuguese and I've been reading Portuguese books. You will not understand everything, but you will be interested in understanding. So yeah, it's, and children love to learn through fun. Um, so there's like, it's the best approach. Um, I know my mom tried to teach us English when we were like six, seven, eight, and we hated it because it was from books and it was uh, conjugation. You have to learn the irregular verbs and no one likes that. I mean, unless it's your thing, um, but <laughs> we didn't like it. We started learning when we got stuff we liked.
1: Absolutely. And you're also a teacher yourself. And what's your, your particular style with uh, helping your students?
0: All right. So for context, um, I taught children between the age of two and three, two, three and four, and then teenagers. So between the age of 13 to 16. Um, with the young children, it's important for them to be exposed to a language. So I would talk a lot to them. Um, I taught this little girl from Argentina. I taught her English. And I would speak with her. I would tell her, uh, go get me something green. Go get me something blue. And we would play this game every time she came. I saw her twice a week. Um, And through repetition, she got to use the vocabulary. She got to learn the vocabulary. Um, She was really shy at first. She couldn't utter a single word in English, and I was lucky if I got something in Spanish out of her. Uh, but eventually, the more we talked, and well, the more I talked to her, and the more she listened, the more she was forced to listen. She would end up saying, "Can I?" in Spanish, "Puedo ir a beber," and I would say, "Ah, oh, you have to say it in English." And she'd say, "Drink," which was enough because it was more than she could say a few weeks um, before. So yeah, just exposing children to the same vocabulary when they're young like that worked for me. Um, And then when it came to teenagers, um, it was easy to have conversations with them when they got to talk about stuff they liked. So I had this young girl... Um, from Colombia. She liked fashion and she was going to move to France for a year abroad uh, at school. And we talked, obviously, we saw some grammar, we saw some conjugation, but only related to situations she'd want to find herself in. So she'd want to go shopping to the mall and she was going to get to France um, in the winter. So we talked about how to talk about shopping in, during the winter. And um, it made her want to learn.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, like you said, getting making that interest and making it relevant to the, their lives definitely makes a huge difference. So you've um, you've had the experience of your your life being kind of uh, taken up from the roots and moved to a completely different country multiple times now. The most recent being London. And as you said, you're an introvert. So like, how has uh, how have you tried to integrate yourself into this completely new world? And how have you begun making friends? especially when you don't necessarily speak that language yet, when you've also, um, like, like for me it's easy when I go to a country, I just walk up to people and talk. I I don't have any fear about that, but like, how have you handled it?
0: Um, Badly at first, but we're all allowed mistakes, (laughs) so um, it got better the older I got. So I definitely handled London better than I did the Dominican Republic. The most important things was letting go of that self consciousness that held uh, me back. So, being not really, so being born somewhere, moving somewhere else, and then growing up somewhere else and speaking different languages, um, it causes a bit of an identity crisis. You don't really feel like you belong somewhere. And when you move somewhere, you instantly, you automatically feel no one will relate to you. You won't relate to anyone. It's going to be really hard to find your place to feel like you belong. So that's something that held me back um, a lot and it made it really hard to get friends. But once you let go a bit of that self-consciousness, it gets easier. So there was this obsession I had with my accent. I didn't want to stick out. I didn't want to have an accent because then everyone would be able to point at me and say, oh, she's a gringa. She's from outside. She's, she's not from here. Um, and that made me very quiet. So then I was labeled as the quiet kid who was maybe not keen on meeting other people who, I don't know, felt superior or something. I'm not saying this is what happened, but it's what could have happened. Yeah. So I should have tried to speak a lot more because even if Even if I spoke, no one really made, no one made fun of my accent or anything. It was all in my head. It was myself holding myself back. Um, you often say, I mean, people often say you're your greatest enemy. Um, but in London, it was easier to find people to connect with because we talked about different things. Um, so my focus wasn't on how well I spoke or how much I was like people, but how much we could find that we, we shared how much alike we were in other aspects that are not about identity. Might be just um, things we like, or in this case, most of my friends are from my university course. So finding a a common ground with people is really important.
1: Yeah. And even like a place like London is one of the most multilingual cities in the world, and it's got so many other uh, foreigners. And that's that's been initially for me when I started traveling was connecting with other people who are also new to the country, who are also learning the language. And uh, there's a lot of things you can relate to at that level with those kind of people, isn't there?
0: Yes, funnily enough, uh, I've met more Italian people here than I've met in my whole entire life, even in Italy. Um, it's it's surprising, but it's nice when you meet people who have the same experiences as you. Um, and I've met people, I've met an Australian girl, which I l- like her a lot. We're great friends and she's from Australia. She speaks English. But we have so much in common because we come from the outside. We discovered the UK culture and um, we've had similar experiences. So, yeah, it's not about the language. And you're right. I've connected much more with people who came, um, who are new to the country because we discovered jacket potatoes together and um, fish and chips or uh Oh, Freddo's and uh, hearing people talk about the culture around us and just discovering it is a nice bonding point.
1: Of course. Now, um, we can actually, uh, with the team at Fluent in Three Months, we've personally gotten to hear how much you've improved your accent in uh, the last year or so. Like, we, uh, There are actually videos people can listen to that we did like an Italian Uncovered series and we can hear your accent there versus your accent now and you have made such incredibly fast progress like you definitely have this british twang now while you're speaking so how on earth have you improved your accent this quickly i'm very curious
0: um so i guess it's a lot from the fact that um so i'm an au pair and i live with a family 24/7 uh so every single conversation i have is uh, conducted by people who have the Queen's accent um and also the fact well obviously living here but um letting go like we discussed earlier letting go of that fear of not having the accent somehow helped me absorb it much more quickly um it's it's funny because my best friend speaks with an American accent. She's from the Dominican Republic, but she speaks with an American accent. And now she makes fun of me for saying water instead of water, um, <laughs> which we used to say together. We used to say water. And now it's fun for her to hear me say water. And um, it just, it feels a bit, it feels a bit strange um, for me to say water still. I feel like I'm pronouncing it wrong, like I'm over pronouncing it. Uh, people say, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. I can't judge, but, uh, it's, it's, it's strange. And, um, I've watched, uh, I mentioned it to Elizabeth, uh, who works at Flooding Through once with us. Um, I said, I watched Downton Abbey and they have such a perfect clear British accent, uh, English accent, sorry. I just learned the difference, uh, <laughs> that there isn't really a British accent. Um, and I just trying to mimic them. My English just soared after that. It's incredible. Uh, I look at videos I took before starting to watch the series and it was a bit of a disaster. But after that, I just got more confident with it. And I've also watched recently Love Island um, as a guilty pleasure. (laughs) And I was surprised by how well I could understand the different accents. Like I could distinguish a Scottish accent from a Manchester accent, which... Uh, yes, to people from here would be the most normal thing in the world. But coming from where I came, I couldn't tell them apart. And now I can. And it's just fun to realize
1: it. So is it pure exposure or are you doing drills like where you're trying to repeat a word over and over or like are you playing videos slowly? I'm sure I'm I'm, I'm curious if you have a particular strategy you have uh, to do things like changing, like you said. Water to water, like how, how how did you how did you make that transition beyond just all this exposure you're getting?
0: Um, I guess without thinking about it, um, I've done drills like you said, but they're not self-imposed drills. I wouldn't have a routine every day and say, okay, I'm going to try and repeat this. Um, I read a lot, and sometimes I read aloud to myself to see how my diction can improve and um, how quick. I can read how quickly I can read um, out loud. Um, There's something, yes, that I've tended to do. I think it might be all bilingual people, all people who speak multiple languages. It's when you get corrected by someone, you would repeat the word over and over until you get it right. So even growing up, um, so I spoke mainly French, living in a French country. And my father, I would often trip up Italian words and my father would say, no, that that's how you say it. And so I would repeat it and he would repeat it again until I got it right. And usually after a couple of times of doing this, um, I would get the word right without even thinking about it. Which, if you, I mean, it's how it should be. Um, but yeah, so there's nothing, th- there isn't really a routine, I don't stress myself, but I do try to imitate the accent every time I can.
1: Okay. And in terms of your experience getting homeschooled, because you've got uh, both the experience of traditional learning and the homeschooling environment, uh, for other people who want to either get into, um, like if they want to integrate homeschooling into their family, what would you recommend that definitely helped you or what uh, things like pitfalls should people look for?
0: Oh, that's a great question. So the main thing about uh, homeschool is you have to go get the answer. Um, because often, if you don't go get the answer, no one g- will give it to you. You don't have, I mean, in my experience, we didn't, my mother was our tutor and she had three homeschool kids. So she took care of my sister uh, most of the time, who's seven years younger than I am. So she didn't really have time to do it to my brother and I um, when it came to actually be a teacher there all the time for us. So if we needed an answer, we had to go get it and it's something that's stuck with us in life every single time we need an answer we we go get it so that's definitely something about homeschool it's you well children will have to be somewhat independent uh but it's helped us so much uh to understand i mean i don't think i would have moved to london if i hadn't had the homeschool experience because uh, moving during the pandemic and not knowing where you were going um it was a bit frightening, but somehow the fact that I had been homeschooled helped. And um, something else about homeschool is you can focus on what you want, what you most like. So I really wasn't into the sciences. I did what I had to do to complete um, my diploma, but I focused more on literature um, or mathematics, which was better. So that's something else about homeschool. You can focus on what you really want to do. Uh, Because, I mean, how could a teacher help you develop, fully develop um, your interest in something when they have to do the same for, say, 20 plus, 30 plus kids? I mean, it's not, it wouldn't be fair on the teacher. And so that's a difference. That's um, something you can get out of homeschool.
1: Yeah. And as well as that, um, I think, uh, you've, you've, you've got this, um, kind of sixth sense now of, of a radar of, you can detect when someone else has been homeschooled. Isn't that right? Uh, yes. Can you tell us about that? <laughs>
0: um, there's this girl in my university, uh, class, she was homeschooled and, um, I discovered that just, uh, one semester in, so after six months and I had had an inkling, not, I I couldn't say for sure. She's been homeschooled, but just by the way she was doing everything she did. So uh, never taking no for an answer in like, in an academic way. So if she couldn't find a resource somewhere, she would resort to something else. Um, and she would always be very meticulous, very disciplined and good at setting deadlines for herself. And yeah, I definitely thought, wow. If she wasn't homeschooled, I'd be really interested in knowing how how she dealt with her um, with her academic life. But yeah, it turns out she was homeschooled. So
1: <laughs> no, like you said, it gives you that extra drive to to look for the answers yourself. So it's going to make you a lot more independent, uh, more likely for sure. And um, uh, one other thing about your um, as as you've said, you're you're more interested in literature, and you've made that a bigger theme in your life and. It was even a theme, like, as you said, your, your father would give you kind of a bit of a historical context and give you things in Latin and such. So, um, like, that's something that, like, becoming a writer is something that a lot of people can aspire to. But in your case, you're not only going in that direction. Like, you've obviously written a bunch of articles for Fluent in Three Months. You've got your own Medium uh, page that you're writing articles for. And But you're doing this in a language that is not not your lane of language. So that's, all, that's a whole extra step beyond the intimidation of becoming a writer and putting your work out there. So how has that path been for you?
0: Um, <laughs> it's like everything else. It was uh, obviously hard at first. It's a bit easier now, but there's still this um, will like you want to do everything perfectly. That's something else that came from homeschooling. You want to do things as perfectly as you can. Um, I know you're not a fan of perfectionism. (laughs) (laughs) I've tried to uh, let it go a bit because yeah, it's, it is an obstacle. Um, But back to the question. So when I started learning English properly, I was around 15. Um, My mother She knew that homeschool lets you focus on what you like the most. So she started looking for places um, or some social activities that I could do, um, liking because I liked reading and I liked writing. So um, I created a Tumblr account. And this is something I'm still a bit shy to talk about um, now, but I'd read the Harry Potter series. Um, There was a transition between when I was at school and when I was homeschooled where I didn't really have friends around me at school. And so I got really into reading and the Harry Potter books were the first books I ever read in English. I couldn't understand anything at first, but it's fine. I liked the story and I did learn. Um, I've got the word Jurekan from there, which was a bit weird in the US, like in American English, but it's useful here. Um, So, and I got onto Tumblr and I started writing fan fiction uh, badly at first. And then I met other people and we would write together. So people whose native language was actually English. So I met other people who might co-wrote with and people who um, better read my fic. So like a proofreader and um, reading a lot of this fan fiction because it was mainly dialogue based um, allowed me to understand how dialogue works, how the contractions work, how, what, how you could form a sentence that would be, um, a bit more organic, a bit more believable than what I used to say. Like I used to use big words in dialogue, which is not something you, you would tend to do, but because it wasn't my main language, um, I knew those words and I knew them from the dictionary. So I would use them because they were correct. Uh, but maybe not natural to use in that context. Um, so i got a bit better i mean i got a lot better at writing in english um during that phase and then i decided i wanted to get a job when i was 17 and where we lived it wasn't really possible to get a job in person and what i saw i could do by working online was uh writing being a copywriter and so i tried my hand at that and getting someone to edit and proofread your work professionally is a huge help. And, um, yeah, that's something, <laughs> that's something I'm really grateful to Flynn in three months for as well, because my writing has grown up a lot, um, as I wrote through the blog, but yeah, it was definitely a period of growth and trial and error and repeating and never stopping, never stopping. I've never stopped writing and, There's these notebooks I have that I started when I was 15. They're all, I think I have four or five of them. They're all full of vocabulary and uh, sentences and idioms, phrases, and writing and rewriting for the spelling. Um, So yeah, that's just practice and um, never dropping it.
1: Very interesting, yeah. And um, in terms of like, obviously you've got... Uh, a lot of life experience with these languages through your parents and through, uh, like you said, your Spanish and English, you, you had this kind of bilingual education in those languages when you're in the Dominican Republic. But, uh, for your future in language learning, um, how do you plan to do things like with your Portuguese? Because that's obviously going to be a very different experience because you're not going to have the same level of immersion. So what's your plan for future languages that you might learn?
0: So the thing when you speak four languages, people will assume it's going to be easy for you to speak another one. Um, no. <laughs> so I always say I'm bilingual by uh, birth and quadrilingual by consequence. Uh, I, I didn't really mean to learn Spanish and English. I just had to. Now that I mean to learn a language, um, it is a bit different. You have to get back into that habit that I had. So of being exposed to the language as much as you can which when you have um, several jobs and a full-time position as a university student isn't the easiest thing. Um, I've been slacking off that's the honest answer to the question Um, (laughs) but um, unfortunately now because of COVID it's not easy to travel but I had planned to go to uh, Portugal for some time during the summer, which I'll postpone to next summer. It's fine. Um, reading, I've been reading shyly because it's easy. It's very easy with French, Italian and uh, Spanish to understand written Portuguese. I'm conscious. I'll have to speak at some point. Um, I listened to the podcast with, um, Maria Ortega Garcia. She said she was an introvert. And it was hard for her to speak at first, which, yes, hello, I can relate. We're in the same club. <laughs> um, but I, I I know I'll get to it. I just want to read a bit now and listen to music. Listening to music has been helpful. I will can guess because, I mean, it's the same verses repeated over and over, usually in songs. So it's you get used to the melody and you end up understanding some bits. Um I'll get to longer videos, possibly soon. And then next summer, I'll travel and go actually speak somewhere.
1: Excellent. I'm very curious to hear how that will go for sure. Yeah, me too. Yeah. And other than that, like potentially going and traveling somewhere next year, what are your long-term plans, both with your writing and your language learning future?
0: Um, (laughs) um, so Again, because it's never been like something I intentionally wanted to do. Language, loving language learning is more something I grew up feeling. So it's not something I'm pursuing. So in terms of, life and living with languages I'd love after my university degree I've said for some time now I'd love to travel a lot like spending a couple of months in a place um at first I'd like to do the countries uh where technically I'm from so France and Italy just to connect a bit more to the culture since I haven't really been exposed to French and Italian culture um as a native um would usually be um after that I'd like to go to some countries, uh, to learn a language. So first Portuguese, it might be a bit easier. And then, um, my mother's half Croatian. And I just very recently realized that I'm as French as I am Croatian biologically. So it's a bit of a shame that I don't have any connections with Croatian. Um, I know Shannon speaks Croatian. Um, I'd love to be able to chat with her in Croatian. Um, so that's more of a dream than anything concrete for now, but it's definitely something I'm thinking about. Yeah.
1: And then finally, as you, as you know, we always ask our guests on the podcast, what is their definition of language hacking? So what's yours?
0: Okay. I'll go back to this. Um, My definition of language hacking is uh, finding the way that will help you like the language the most. So, um, you'll be quicker to learn something as we've discussed if you like it. So language hacking is uh, learning to love the language for me. Yeah. That's finding all the little things that will help you love the language.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. And that, that sparks your curiosity to dive into it a lot more for sure. So that that's a great takeaway for people from the episode. And of course we'll link to a bunch of uh, Alice's things in the show notes, both her articles on Fluent in Three Months and her articles elsewhere and her social media. So you can check her out. And uh, thank you so much, Alice, for joining us in the podcast today and sharing your story.
0: Thank you, Benny. It was such an amazing experience. Um, I love doing that. And I hope, I hope um, this episode can help some people uh, find their love for language and how they can love languages best.
1: Absolutely. All right. So thank you everybody for listening. If you enjoyed this podcast, be sure to leave us a review at languagehacking.com slash review. And until the next time, I will wish everybody listening a very happy language learning.
0: We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Language Hacking Podcast. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, YouTube, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you found this episode valuable and want to help us out, please leave a review at languagehacking.com forward slash review. The Language Hacking Podcast is presented by Benny Lewis and Shannon Kennedy and produced by David Sobel. With special thanks to the Fluent in Three Months team. Theme music was written and performed by Shannon Kennedy. Find the show notes at languagehacking.com forward slash podcast. Thanks for listening and happy language learning.